scripture reading will be from the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. That's 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. In 1996, a man by the name of George Tullock, he led an expedition to the very spot where the Titanic sank in 1912. And while he was there, he was able to uh, go down and, and retrieve numerous artifacts. And as he was getting ready to leave, he went down and he tried to bring up a 20-ton piece of iron. He wanted to bring back this piece of the structure back to New York so it could be uh, uh, put into a museum or something of that nature so people could come by and see an actual piece of the Titanic and remember uh, the ship and remember the people who had lost their lives. And he was almost to the surface of the water. He was 70 yards from the surface of the water when a great storm erupted. And because of that great storm, the the ropes broke and the Atlantic retrieved and took back the uh, the treasure that it had. So he had to retreat. He kind of had to regroup. But before he left that spot, he went back down to the Titanic in a submarine. And he attached a strip of metal to uh, to that structure. Now that strip of metal said, I will come back, George Tullock. Have you ever heard of the English author C.S. Lewis? I think most of us have. And, and he is the author of uh, some of the finest literature that you'll be able to, to read. I like a lot of his works. But he has one particular uh, work, a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. And in that third book, The, uh, uh, the Voyage of the Don Treader, one of the characters uh, in the, in the uh, series is named Lucy. And Lucy is talking to Aslan, who is a lion, and Aslan is a, is a Christ figure in the book. And so he's walking away, and Lucy's following him, and, and he looks at her and he says, uh, Do not look so sad, we will meet soon again. To that, Lucy replies, Please, Aslan, what do you call soon? He says, I call all times soon. And instantly, he vanished away. Now that's a work of fiction. The C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. But C.S. Lewis was a very religiously minded man. I don't believe he was a New Testament Christian. But he was religiously minded. And if you read any of his works, you can see that come through in his writings. 
But here's something we can be assured of. Aslan is a fictional character, but the Christ is not. He will return. Just as George Tullock went down to the, the very spot where the Titanic uh, laid on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and he put that strip of metal and he said, I will come back, Jesus told us the same thing. He told the same thing before he went up and was carried into the heavens uh, in a cloud. But not only is he coming back, his return is closer today than it has ever been. Tomorrow it will be closer than it was today. And so we can be assured that the Christ is coming. But it's been almost 2,000 years, hasn't it? It's been almost 2,000 years since we entered into the last days. Now, we know we're in the last days because Joel prophesied of the last days and the events that would happen, Joel 2, 28 through 29. We get over to the first Pentecost following the, the resurrection of the Christ. And Peter told those who were in attendance, he said, this is what Joel spoke of. They were seeing the very thing of which Joel prophesied. We are at that time, he's telling them, in the last days. So, for about 2,000 years, we've been in the last days. We see that in Acts 2, 14 through 18. But like most people in the world, and a vast majority of people who have ever lived, man has determined, since it has been so long since Christ walked the earth, 2,000 years, that He's not coming back. But that's not a new phenomenon in our time, is it? It isn't just uh, people of our time talking about the myth of the Bible or the fairy tale of, of the person we refer to as God. That's happened all along. But no, notice what Paul told the apostles. Let's go to John 14. John 14, beginning in verse 2, he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And again, doubting the promises of Jesus isn't something that that has just uh, uh, presented itself in our time. Peter had to fight against that. In his answer to those doubts of uh, the people who said, well, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed since the beginning of time. Peter said, 2 Peter 3, beginning with verse 3, he said, knowing this first, before we get started, before we go any further, Notice this, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. As he began that rebuke, he pointed to those very people. Before we go any further, in the last days we're going to have people just like you. And saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, I want us to notice a passage following that, beginning with verse 8 of the same chapter. But before we get there, Peter said, no, no, not everything is the same. And he pointed to the flood. He said that was a big change in the world since the fathers fell asleep. But then we pick up in in verse 8, excuse me, he said, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? To the Lord a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Now there have been untold false teachings created out of that statement. People have taken that statement and they've applied that to the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2. Well, there you go. It took seven or 6,000 years to create the world. Well, that's not at all what Peter was talking about. Again, let's notice what he said. People are saying it today. To him, they said, well, nothing's changed since the fathers fell asleep. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. <clears throat> He's talking about the patriarchs. Everything's remained the same. Peter said, not so. People today say, well, 2,000 years, that's a fairy tale. There's nothing uh, true about the man called Jesus or this person we refer to as God. That's not true. It's been 2,000 years. Well, here's the thing. A thousand years is just like a day to God. A day is like a thousand years. God does not live in, nor is He constrained with, time. He lives in eternity. Time doesn't mean anything to God in eternity. He says, I'll come back. He's coming back. Now, it may be 2,000 years for us. It's nothing to God. And so that's what Peter was talking about. I want us to spend a few moments on the truth of Jesus is coming back. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. Jesus is coming back. And I want us to allow Paul's message to prepare us for that time. Jesus is coming back. And when He comes back, it will be purposefully. That's our first point. It will be purposefully. His primary goal, as we read the the text before us, was to gather the faithful and take them to a place of comfort. He said, you will rest with us. Those who were being persecuted in this life, those who were being troubled, the Lord is going to return. He's going to gather the faithful and they will rest with us. The faithful who had gone on before, with Him, with the Father, with the Spirit. So that was the that was the main purpose, the focus of His returning. That's what He told uh, His apostles in John 14, right? I'm going to go prepare a place. I'm going to go make the place ready. It already existed, but He needed to make it ready. He said, and if I do, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to get you so you can be where I am. That was the purpose. He wanted to bring comfort, right? He promised this, Matthew 11, beginning verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wants the world to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to have to stand before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings in judgment. With a flaming sword? But that's, he's coming that way, right? He's coming with a flaming sword, but his primary purpose is to bring comfort. He wants everyone to come to the knowledge 
of what Jesus has given to us. Notice what Paul said, 1 Timothy 2, beginning with 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of truth. Now, there may be times in this life when we don't have the rest that we seek. There are going to be times when when we're worn out and we're tired for any myriad of reasons. Financially, personally, physically, whatever the case may be. We may be going through things that uh, we might believe just is ruining our lives. And sometimes that's true in this life, isn't it? But we have to look beyond that. We have to look to the time when the Lord is going to return. He's going to bring comfort like we've never known. People who've had an easy life in this world, they don't understand the comfort that Christ can bring. Jesus died so we could be saved, not lost. That's His purpose, for us to be saved. But in the next life, the faithful will always be comforted. 2 Corinthians 7, 5. Jesus is coming back purposefully. The main reason He's coming back is to bring comfort. But He will also bring catastrophe to the sinful. That was the purpose of bringing the flaming sword, isn't it? When the Lord shall appear, descending. We read in the the different accounts of His return with the shout of the archangel, with the, the trumpet of God. And He's going to bring catastrophe on those people. Paul warned, 2 Thessalonians 1, let's read... Uh, Verses 7 through 9, repeat that. The Lord shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I remember one time I walked into a a Best Buy when I was in in Memphis and I was getting ready to make a trip over to... uh, Uh, maybe Indonesia or India, I don't recall, but anyway, I was going to make a trip overseas, and I ran into this gentleman who would attend services with us. He was a member somewhere else, but on occasion, because of his work, he would attend where we were. And so I began to talk to him, and I told him what I was doing, and and, uh, he began to talk to me about how people who have never heard the gospel will be saved in the end because they never had an opportunity to hear the gospel. I said, now wait a minute. I said, that's not what Peter said, or that's not what Paul said. And I went back to this very verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it said, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's two classes of people, isn't it? That's a group of people who have heard about Jesus, and they said, I don't want to obey Him. But then you have that other group of people who just have never heard of Him. And they'll be lost too. You know, I had opportunity to preach in places in India, and I never thought this would ever be the case. People had never heard the name Jesus. They'd never heard the name Jesus until I preached Jesus to them. And now they had an opportunity to obey the gospel. Paul said, If you don't know who the the Lord is, you'll be lost. Why is that? Because it's our responsibility to find out what Jesus wants us to do. Now, Jesus spoke of that very day, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, when He 
when he talked about uh, over the very day Paul spoke of when he returns to earth. He talked about those who uh, on the one hand would would say, uh, Lord, have I not done all these wonderful things in your name? I've prophesied, I've done this, I've done that. And he said, depart from me, ye who work iniquity. I never knew you. If we don't know Jesus, He's not going to know us. And that's not what He wants to happen. Jesus is coming back purposefully, and we must purposefully prepare for that day. He went and prepared a place for the faithful. Can we imagine at any point that we cannot prepare ourselves in order to get there? We have to prepare ourselves. We must be purposeful in our teaching other people. We have to be purposeful in searching out what He has in store for us and finding out what He expects. We have to be like Daniel. Daniel 1 verse 8, He purposed in His heart that He would not defile Himself. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back purposefully. And He's coming back personally. That's our second point. He's not going to send a substitute. He is going to return And he's going to finish what he started almost 2,000 years ago. He said he was leaving to prepare a place, John 14, 1 through 3, and that he would return. He's not going to send someone by proxy. He's going to come himself. It is Christ who's going to judge all people who have ever lived. He warned this, John 12, 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. I think a whole lot of people in the world have substituted themselves for Christ, right? There are all kinds of denominations in the world who have usurped the position of the Lord. The Catholic Church, the Pope, he usurps the authority of Christ. He calls himself the vicar of Christ on earth. He is Christ's replacement if you talk to him. What about other denominations? There's a ton of them, denominational leaders in the world who who have taken and stolen the authority of Christ and the authority of God. He's not he's not going to send a, send a substitute, and there is no substitute for the Lord. He's going to resurrect all people, and we're not going to stand again in front of a substitute. We're going to stand in front of the Savior. Luke recorded this Acts four twelve. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, in what part of that statement do we read about the Catholic Pope? It's not there, is it? It's not there. He has stolen the authority from God. But there's no other name under heaven whereby man will be saved. He is the only way to salvation, and there is not another. He's the one who suffered and died. He's the one who brought the gospel. He's going to be the one who ushers the faithful into heaven. John comforted the Christians reading his revelation uh, this way. Revelation 21 verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. A substitute can't do that. Only a Savior can, and He's coming. Christ is the door to the Father. And because of that, He will come personally 
to take the faithful home. I want us to notice as, as we look at the passage before us. Jesus is coming back purposefully. He's coming back personally. And when He comes back, it will be powerfully. That's our third and final point. Paul told us this, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. When Christ returns, He will bring with Him the power of God. His return will be seen and will be known by everyone. Now that is a different statement that we read here than what uh, people in 1914 taught. The Jehovah's Witness uh, and the, the Latter-day Saint movement was kind of one movement at that time. And they said in 1914... The Christ came back silently, invisibly. And from that point, He's been ruling over His kingdom. Now, I want you to listen again. Read with me again. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Nothing about that's invisible. Nothing about that is silent. When Jesus comes, He will bring with Him the power of God. Paul said, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Romans fourteen eleven. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. That's what's going to happen on the last day. Just because someone bows and confesses on the last day doesn't mean they're going to be saved. What it means is they will audibly recognize that Christ was the Savior all along and that they wish they had obeyed Him. There's so many people in the world that teach uh, uh, this secret snatching away. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker? In case of the rapture, this car will be driverless. All of a sudden, people are just going to disappear. We're not going to know where they are. That's a secret snatching away, they say. They call that the rapture. Now, here's the truth of the matter. The word rapture can't be found in the Bible. It's not there. There is going to be no secret snatching away. There's one resurrection of both the good and the wicked. The good come from the grave first, and then the others. Those of us who remain, 1 Corinthians 15, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We will be covered or dressed in our spiritual bodies. The word rapture can't be found. Jesus will descend in power and it will be so powerful that the dead will come from the grave. Can you imagine? As I look back and I study through the New Testament and uh, uh, when all the graves at Christ's crucifixion or at His resurrection, rather... Uh, those people came forth from the graves. Can you imagine a sight like that? That's nothing compared to what's going to happen when Christ returns the second time. Those who died in the Lord will be raised first, Revelation fourteen thirteen. Those who remain, again, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, will be changed in the moment, in, a, in just a, a moment of time, in the twinkling of an eye. And after that, 1 Thessalonians four seventeen, the thing that we all look for, 
The faithful will meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. All who have ever died will be a part of that resurrection. Now, some are going to be resurrected to eternal life. But for the most part, they'll be resurrected to damnation. Why? Well, because He's also coming with a sword of flaming fire. He wants to bring comfort, but He will bring catastrophe. He will punish those who refused to obey Him, and He's going to punish those who refused to seek Him out. That's not what He wants. But because He is a righteous and a just God, that is what has to happen. That's why the, the writer of Hebrews warned, Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And because Jesus is coming back purposefully, personally, and powerfully, we have to be pre- prepared for that. We have to be ready. We don't know when it's going to happen. Peter said it will happen like a thief in the night. I don't know... How many of you have ever had anything stolen? But they don't call ahead of time, do they? Hey, I'll be there at such such time, do you mind being away? Well, no, they don't do that. A thief in the night shows up and you don't know when they're going to show up. Right? There are two choices. One can obey the gospel and be a part of that saved group. That's the elect. God elected a group of people to be saved and we can be a part of that group. All we have to do is obey the gospel. We have to uh, have faith in Him, Hebrews eleven six. We have to repent of past sins. We want to turn our lives around. We want to fit God's life. Uh, confess Him before others, just like the Ethiopian unit did in Acts chapter 8. Be immersed in water. And the very reason we're immersed in water is so we can be forgiven, right? That's the purpose of it. I was reading a book I just recently purchased, and it's by a denominational uh, preacher, and but I, I, I ordered it for a particular reason, and but I was looking through and I knew that uh, the statement that he made in Acts chapter 2 would be incorrect, and so he's looking in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, and he's explaining what that means, and he says, absolutely repentance is a prerequisite to salvation. But he said, now we should not misunderstand this verse to mean that baptism is a prerequisite to salvation. That is a demonstration of your outward faith. An outward demonstration of your inward faith. Now look, you have to be taught that because you're not going to learn it from a reading of the Scripture, right? Peter said, repent and be baptized. If the repent is a prerequisite, that coordinating conjunction makes baptism a prerequisite. Same thing in Mark 16, 16, right? He that believeth and is baptized. They say, okay, you got to believe to be saved, but you don't have to be baptized. Well, if you don't have to be baptized, you don't have to believe. Right? There are two options. And it's easy to obey the gospel. Or someone can ignore that, and they'll lift up their eyes being in torments, Luke 16, right along beside the rich, uh, the rich man. It doesn't have to be a fearful thing, though to fall into the hands of the living God. It ought to be a comforting thing. We ought to be able to look forward to that, and it ought to be a a joyous occasion, and it will be to all those who love His appearing, 2 Timothy 4.8. But we have to prepare for that day, right? If Jesus prepared, we have to prepare. To be prepared, we have to, to be cleansed and washed. We have to be wearing the robes 
of Jesus. And we just talked about how to do that. Plan of salvation. Submitting to that. Being willing to do it. But sometimes what happens in this life is we make mistakes. We mess up. And instead of having white robes, we stain our robes. But God made a a provision for that. He made it so that we can come back to Him. We don't have to be baptized again. We don't have to obey the gospel again because we're children of God, right? We just have to repent of those sins. James chapter 5. Confess our faults one to another if necessary. If it's a private sin, we don't have to. But then we, we pray for one another and we ask God to forgive us and He will. First John 1. Right? And that's easy to do. If you stand today and need answering this Lord's invitation, whether you've ever obeyed the gospel or whether you need to come back, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.